This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Thrive Market, an online grocery store offering all of your favorite vegan, organic, and non-GMO products. But instead of marking them up to premium prices, Thrive Market sells the same premium products at wholesale prices delivered straight to your door. Get 25% off your first purchase plus free shipping plus free 30-day trial by visiting thrivemarket.com slash no meat. That's thrivemarket.com slash no meat. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health-conscious lifestyles. That's right, Health IQ rewards us for our lifestyle choices. Head over to healthiq.com slash no meat to learn more about all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, yesterday I sat down to watch my daily cartoons, and uh, what do you know, but there was Matt Frazier in cartoon form <laughs> on, my, on my computer screen. So you watch daily cartoons on the computer, Doug? <laughs> Every day. Isn't that what you Not do? that surprising to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you read the world news that you do, and then hit the comic page, right? <laughs> That's exactly right, yep. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I am a cartoon and uh, and my children are cartoons too, which is which is kind of fun. We made a promotional video for our new supplement, which we're calling Compliment, um, and made a little cartoon cartoon video for it, a whiteboard video. Yeah, and it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun to fun to have a video. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, I, my my kids actually asked me if they were I was going to show them, and I said, well, "We have this cool cartoon video that we made for Compliment," and. Uh, they said, are we in it? I said, yeah, I think you kind of might be. And I was just thinking there were these vague families in the thing. And, and then the very first frame of it, which I had seen before, I just it just didn't register for some reason, is me running with two kids. Uh-huh. And that's uh, and that's my character. In the thing. It's funny that I just didn't – I don't know why. I just I – was, I was looking at it with a critical eye, I guess, before that and trying to get all the pieces right and tell the designer what we had to fix. And it didn't really occur to me that that was, that that was the kids. So <laughs> I, I started watching it, and they introduced you and, and the other Matt and Pamela and – I went back and I was like, I actually rewound and I was like, hey, there's there's Holden and Hillary. Yeah, what kids get to be in their own little cartoon when they're only whatever they are, seven <laughs> and four. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So it was fun, um, and that uh, more fun than that perhaps is that we actually did get the product shipped in the bottle and it looks nice, like anything else you would see, you know, on the shelf of a store. So I think it's really cool if you if you go to LightDrop.io because that's the company's name is LightDrop. Uh, you could actually see the video and a bunch of other stuff. So anyway, Doug, weekend update. I know we've been doing some weekend updates recently because they're that's what we do. We need weekend um, update music, I think. <laughs> yeah. like, like news music. The weekend update is so terrible content, which is why it always makes me chuckle. Because all <laughs> it is is saying what we did over the weekend. Uh, the most significant thing I did over the weekend, I think, is uh, I, I got out some Italian cookbooks. And I've been doing this, getting non-vegan Italian cookbooks and just veganizing things. Because you can find a lot of good vegetable dish recipes that don't take almost any effort to veganize. And uh, I went to the store. I started finding recipe after recipe. And I wrote them down. I said, I'm going to go to the grocery store and pick out a few of these. I ended up coming back with 21 recipes, 21 ingredients for recipes. Wow. And I've been plowing through them this week about three to four per day. They're kind of small vegetable side dishes, yet they still each create two pots and pans and a billion little plates. So <laughs> we've just it's just been a massive like cooking and then cleanup fest each night. 
Uh, but it's been kind of fun. It's been a little a nice little cooking immersion for me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Yes. So that that was my significant thing. So I bought all those recipes. Well, there you go. I. Yeah. What do we got? That's we know what thing. you did. I moved to a new house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big deal. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. So you're, this is the first time you recorded in your new studio. That's right. The first episode in the new studio. Because we're not together, unfortunately. We're doing this via Skype. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, new house. Uh, settling into the new office pretty well. It's very light and uh, and homey. So I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I don't know if homey you, is the right word, but you... comfortable. <laughs> good. Uh, you told me that your band equipment had been left behind in the in the old house because you were going to do one more massive party bash type of thing, right, before you left? <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, that was kind of the idea, but the party bash didn't, <laughs> didn't really happen. We did have an epic uh, an epic practice this week. Which oh, was, yeah? Yeah. It was, Turn it was, the amps up to 11? Oh, yeah. We were so loud. We had all the doors and windows open. <laughs> <laughs> it nice. was fun. Yeah. Um, and then it's moving into moving into another bandmate's basement. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. There you go. Good. Well, that's exciting stuff. Good weekend update. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. So, uh, so what we are doing this week for our episode is, I guess, it was inspired by larger plans to do more rules episodes because one of our most popular ones has been this episode. I forget the exact name of it. Ten rules for whatever living your best to, life or something, yeah, right? To live your happy and healthiest life or something like okay. that. So basically rules that we made up that we said these are important things. And people have liked it, and they are good rules. I've, I think we even replayed it once, and, and it's a good one. Uh, but we said we should do that. We should do those rules episodes for other topics, like for, for running specifically or for food specifically. And we're going to do that. But we figured before we get into that, we would do something a little different, a little different spin on that, which is rules that you can – or quote-unquote rules that you can safely ignore. Ignore. Attic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. I know. We're we're keeping it edgy. So <laughs> uh so that's what we're doing today. We are doing running rules. Running rules that you can safely totally ignore. Rules that we don't like. Myth busting, you might call this. Yeah, because with anything, with running or food or mindset or anything, there's kind of these uh, rules that get passed along from like beginner to beginner, it seems of, you know, you should, you should do, follow, do this. You should follow, um, your progress this way. And, and I uh, think, you know what? I even think, sorry to interrupt, Doug. I think, I think even the advanced to beginner, because I think the advanced person likes to protect their advanced status. Right. And, and they want to give beginners rules like, Oh, be careful. Don't do this because it's dangerous. And I know from all my infinite wisdom now that this is to be avoided. Right, and so yeah. it sort of might be might be the advance trying to protect themselves. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe Keep so. the little guy down. Um, but right, you know, some, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're important. They are. But, yeah. uh, most oh, of them are. Good. Most of them are good, but the ones we're going to talk about today, and over the next episodes along these same lines, are uh, are not good. They're busted. Right. <laughs> nice. I don't <laughs> think we can use the word myth busting. By the way, I didn't mean to say that. These are. Uh, what what's the name of the name for a myth? False falsity, falsehood, falsehood breaking is what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So Doug, why don't you? Oh, by the way, I should I should mention I uh, I have not gotten back into running yet, but I'm I'm having a lot of thoughts about doing that. And we, I so hold on. 
I thought yes. you were, had gotten back into it. You, that was just I got, short I got back into it as a, as a sort of stress-beating, stress-busting thing. Uh, my, my neighborhood is just set up so poorly for running. Like, we just, we, we're in the sort of, you have to take these sort of mountainous mm. kind of roads to get back to our neighborhood. So there, there is no running from my door anywhere outside of our one-third of a mile loop around our neighborhood. It's like I can do that loop over and over, and it has some nice hills on it, but I, I just can't. If I'm going to get into, like, doing running and, like, you know, go for a run for an hour, i got to drive somewhere to do it. Yeah, so, that, and that road coming into your neighborhood is pretty busy. Yeah, you can't. It. It's just too small of a shoulder. You just can't really run on it. Uh-huh. See, anyway, so anyway, it's a, it's like this, there's this hump now for me to actually get over that says running is going to become a big enough part of my life again that I'm now willing to drive 15 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever to get to a nice spot to run and then go running. And that that's a little bit of a hurdle with kids and work and everything else. You know, it's just it's just one of those little things that gets in the way. So that's the hump I'm not over yet. I'm I'm doing some running around my neighborhood, but I haven't really like ventured out. Yeah. But anyway, I'm just and what it takes for me to do that I I know is is a race goal, right? Like the the role the goal of de-stress myself or do this because it's good for me that is enough to get me running around the neighborhood that's not enough though to get me like you know drive and, and make this a big thing i'm doing so i'm just trying to think about races again and i i have a few exciting ideas that i'm not gonna put out there yet because i don't know if they're they're gonna you know become real or significant but uh just wanted to put that out there that i'm i'm i mean although you doug the highly acclaimed running coach we all know you're into running and, and can speak intelligently about myth busting uh or i should falsehood breaking uh you know i, I just wanted to run, let people know that i am i am kind of swinging back that direction slow ever so slowly but surely that's that's good i'm glad to hear it and that i should i should report it anyone who follows rocket runner would know this but um i don't think you really follow rocket runner <laughs> so so I, I saw your yesterday's blog post believe it or not oh you did okay mm-hmm. um well uh about about running gels yeah okay um well uh I've I've been going through a bit of a slump the past few months. I don't know if we really talked about this uh, on the podcast or even in person, but uh, my running slump has been very real and probably the biggest running slump I've ever I've ever been in. Oh, we've not talked about that. And uh, and I am officially coming out. This week has been my comeback week. Um, I'm getting back into a regular routine. Run the past five days in a row, and mm-hmm. um, and I'm just feeling really good and excited. I signed up for a hundred miler this week wow which one the hellbender 100 it's a brand new 100 here in north carolina in the mountains like right outside black wow. mountain go up on okay. the on the mount mitchell range and all back in those in those mountains so, wow and when's that it's in april okay so good yeah well, good so i'm feeling pretty pumped and i'm yeah that's exciting excited. that's a big that's a big move to just come out of a running slump five days and then sign up for a hundred miler yeah, well, um, you know, but the, well, the running slump had, had really started before you rock. So I mean, it's been kind of a, a long one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good. The new new home, new digs. Is that what has inspired the the turning over a new leaf, coming maybe, back to running? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just feeling That's, ready. I mean, yeah, that you shake something up like that, and it, I think it generally has positive ripples through your life. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Well then, Doug, as our as our award-winning, highly acclaimed running coach, who's now signed up for another hundred miler, uh, why don't you start us off? What's a rule that we should all avoid, ignore? I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off with um, I'm gonna start us off with kind of the fluff one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> That's what they say. With any time you're doing a list piece of content, start off with your fluff. Just... No, no, not that it, not that this is not an important one, but but. Uh, just because I think that people need to hear it. And um, I was running with, with my cousin the other day, and 
and we were talking about headphones and we were, we were talking about um, running and, and, and he was like, you know, I, I just, when I'm racing, I have to wear headphones. I'm not like, I'm not like you real runners who, who can go without wearing headphones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, it kind of took me aback because I think that a lot of people think that if, if you wear headphones, you're not really a running purist. You're not, uh, you're not loving running for the sake of running. And, and I think some people kind of feel guilty about that especially new runners hmm. or, or people who, um, you know, who maybe want to take running more seriously, but, but need that extra motivation from the music or from a podcast or whatever. And, and I want to bust that or I want to foss whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anyone to ever feel guilty about uh, wearing headphones when they're running. Yeah. I think there are some safety times when you shouldn't wear headphones or you should leave one out. Um, but as far as motivation and enjoyment of the run, I don't care if you're wearing headphones or not. Uh, I think that if you're just out there running, whatever you, whatever you need to do to, to enjoy yourself is, is the important one. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that, Doug, and I'm glad to hear you say that. For some reason, I had it in my head that you were one of those purists who, who thought it was not a that it wasn't right to wear headphones. No, sometimes I do. Sometimes I listen to podcasts or audiobooks or things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But most, lots of times, I don't wear headphones, and uh, and he was right about that. And most of the time, I, I do run without him, and most of the time, I run and enjoy the woods and enjoy that experience uh, without the headphones better. And I never race with them, but I have I don't look down upon anyone who who does do that all the time, right? Um, because really, who cares? Like, I mean, why should I care? What what? what you say about how I enjoy this experience, right? right. Like, right? Yeah. Not, not you, but just anyone. Like, who, who cares if I if you think I shouldn't do that? Because it's not... It, as, but I, you're right. If it's endangering somebody, then that's a different story altogether. But yeah. But if it's if you're just saying you shouldn't you shouldn't run with headphones because then you're missing the point, you're missing out on it, I think that's dumb. Right. So, so there Good. you go. So Good. That, Falsehood broken. Falsehood broken. All right. Give me... Give, let's go with a non-fluff one. Okay. All right. Another one, uh, and this is one that I learned very early on in my running career or ha- or heard very early on in my running career um i was training for my first marathon in 2009 i believe it was and um and my brother-in-law who is a college collegiate cross-country runner and has gone on to run many marathons um asked how long i was going to go without uh before after the marathon, how long I was going to take off before, before running again. Cause I already had some other races that I had signed up for and was excited about. And, um, and I said, I don't know. I don't, I hadn't really thought about it. And he said, well, you know, the rule is that for every mile that you race, you're supposed to take a day off. So if you race a 10 K you're supposed to take six miles or which is six miles. Right. You're supposed to take six days off. If you race a marathon. You're supposed to take 26 days off. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I don't know if that's off completely, but off from any sort of serious training, any sort of serious speed work or anything like that. And I looked it up and, um, Jack Foster, who was the master's marathon world record holder, mm-hmm. um, or was anyway, uh, for a long time is the one who came up with that rule. And, and it's something that, uh, people have been sharing. It's like all over the place. I looked it up yesterday and it's like all over the place. And, and for a while I thought that that was true. I no longer think that's true. And I think that that is, uh, if anyone is following that, I, I would encourage them not to, unless you need to, unless you feel like you need to. But um, nowadays, people are racing so much, and they're using, and I encourage this, use races as training races for whatever big race you have. 
Um, and if you were taking these big chunks of time off after each of these training races, it would just take forever and you'd lose so much fitness, you'd lose so much of what right. you gained from those races. So, uh, you know, in my, uh, my kind of philosophy is that most races take about a week to, to recover, maybe 10 days if it's a longer one. Um, you know, something like a hundred miler is going to take a lot longer, but you know, if you're running a half three marathon, months, hundred days, hundred days, three months <laughs> No, but you know, I mean, it, it'll just take longer for your legs to, to bounce back. But, um, but even, you know, even the, the week after your, your race, you should be going out there moving and kind of shaking out your legs and, and uh, getting going. So I don't think that you need to take any significant time off at all after most races. And, uh, and the more, the quicker you can bounce back and the quicker you can recover and get back to training, the bigger gains you're going to see. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a good point, Doug. I think, uh, I mean, I, so I, I agree in a couple ways. I think, I think first of all, we obviously need some little bit of time off after a hard race, right? It's just, it's just, you typically don't want to run the next day because it hurts too much and, mm-hmm. and you will naturally take time off. And the same with probably the next two or three days after, after a hard marathon. Um, but I, I do think in general there's this, and maybe this theme will develop as we go through more of these. I, I think there's this theme of caution and maybe this is what I was talking about with like the expert trying to kind of like make the beginner think this is harder than it is or, or be taken more seriously than it really needs to be. Um, or like, you know, given more respect than it, than it maybe deserves this idea that like, you know, running has to destroy your body and, and therefore you should never try to do more than two marathons in a year. If you do it more than that, you're crazy. And just, and another one that I'll talk about in a bit, but, uh, I think, I think that's a good, a good point that, that it's much better rather than just listen to a rule like that, like actually listen to your body and just notice how quickly you've recovered. And it, it varies depending on your age and how, what type of diet you eat and a billion other factors. So I think much, much smarter is just pay attention to things. Uh, I would also encourage anyone to seriously question any type of rule that sounds so simple and wonderful like that. <laughs> like, oh, it's just one day for every single mile of the race. Um, mm. You know, like that that is something someone obviously made up. And it spreads because it is, it's it's like appealing that, that something would fit so nicely as that rule. Um, this, you know, you, you may know this, Doug, that like, marketing types uh, or persuaders influencer types they, they will there's all kinds of sleazy tactics people do and some of some of them you can you can do in a nazi way but um there's this thing that like if something rhymes you know, remember this was a ben stiller quote that we, i don't think it was from a long came poly like we talked about a couple movies ago maybe it was <laughs> uh that if it rhymes it must be true thing uh-huh remember yeah. that ha- i think it was happy wife happy life and I think Ben Steele said, yeah, if it rhymes, it must be true. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was that movie or not, or any of many similar Ben Steele movies. Uh, but that is a, that's a thing. If, if something rhymes, people are more likely to believe it as true. So if we hear some age-old bit of wisdom that has been passed down and it rhymes, it's partly because it rhymes. That's why we we're hearing it nowadays, because something about the rhyming makes us believe that something about it is true. Mm-hmm. So if you ever hear a rhyming bit of advice, I would I would give that uh, second thought as well. General <laughs> life. Do you have any do you have any other good examples that come to mind? I'm trying to think of some. Um, Michael Pollan has a couple because he's he that's what he does in his food rules book. Uh, the whiter your bread, the sooner you'll be dead. <laughs> kind of a <laughs> apparently like Italian grandmothers say that. Huh. <laughs> it's like an odd thing, but uh, maybe maybe they're into that. <laughs> Uh, other, let's see, other, other rhyming things. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Oh, there you go. 
Maybe a little too young for that one, Doug, right? I'm familiar with it, although I'm That's sure why I, I, I actually don't. I never heard that on TV or anything, but no. I know it was an old ad slogan. I'm sure our audience can think of a million other examples that we're just blanking on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think that running, really, any of this stuff lend itself. I mean, people just, uh, you know, when they write books, when they uh, give advice, they like to have something that's straightforward that everyone can easily understand. And I think that this was one of those rules that uh, is easy to understand and um, and obviously just kept getting passed down and uh, and people kept hearing it. But sure. um, but it's not it's not something I would really hold fast. <laughs> right. And another good example, this is actually not a rule that I think you have to ignore, but another good, good example of something that I think we should just kind of give serious question to because of how nice it looks uh, is the Yasso 800s mm. rule as a, as a marathon predictor. Yeah. And for those who don't know, that's like a, with Yasso 800s, you either run, and it's not even a like agreed upon amount, but if you can run, uh, what is it, 8 or 10 or, do you know the number, Doug? 8 800s, yeah. 800. Okay. Yeah. Eight, 800 meter i guess you not sprints but intervals and and then who knows how long you rest in between those that itself is also a question some people say you walk for however long it took you to do the last one some people say you just do it till you feel like you can run again um but anyway if, if you can do those in in say each one of them in three hour three minutes and 20 seconds then theoretically uh you can run a marathon in three hours and 20 minutes so you just shift the colon over uh, and and that provides marathon estimates that are to they're overly optimistic i think for most people uh but anyway so you so you could adjust it and say well then you have to do 10 of them or 12 of them and we could try to adjust that but i just don't think that's the way to predict marathon performance right we, we don't need something that that uh easy to remember as a rule of thumb there are lots of other more scientific things you could do yeah so anyway and and i think that's kind of too bad and and really for any of these rules it's kind of too bad because it then gets in people's head that they all they have to do is is master the eight hundred, right? <laughs> you know, um, and uh, or or that they get then they get disappointed because they just they know that they can nail the three twenty eight hundreds, but then they just they get out on the marathon and and bonk because they haven't worked on their nutrition or whatever, and um, you know, cross the line twenty minutes later, right? Um, but all right, well then, Doug, I have one that's not uh, this is not too different from those, but it's it's also not quite the same. Um, the ten percent rule. Mm. which is probably the only one of our, our quote-unquote rules that actually is called a rule. And uh, this it is known far and wide as the 10% rule among runners. Um, it's not that the, we've probably talked about this on the podcast. It's not that the 10% rule is never right. Oh, for those who don't know, the 10% rule is the general rule of thumb that you should not add more than 10% uh, to your mileage week after week. And that you can safely add 10% to your mileage week after week. I think that's how most people interpret it. So if you're building yourself a marathon training program, at least the way I always did it when I believed this, was look at my total mileage in week one and add 10%, and that would be my mileage in week two. And just max out the 10% rule each time. Um, the the problem, of course, because of this is, I mean, it, I think there is probably a range of mileage relative to what you're comfortable doing, where the 10% rule is probably the appropriate amount of mileage you can add in a week. Uh, but... For most people, near the beginning of their training, when you're kind of getting back into running after an injury uh, or just getting back into it after a long layoff, it's way too conservative. So if you if you start running 10 miles like after an injury and 10 miles, you know, three three mile runs in the week is all you can run. But but just six months ago, you were running 40 miles in a week. Uh, 
you know, it'll take you years to get up to 40 miles again. Maybe not years, but it'll take you almost a full year to get up to, to 40 miles again if you only add 10% to your mileage each week. Um, so the the way around that is figure out what your what's called your baseline mileage. Like what what is the amount of mileage that you have in recent memory run comfortably without, you know, totally maxing out the amount of mileage you could run um, or totally putting your body under tremendous stress. And then know that you can be way more aggressive with your mileage as you're coming back from something up until you reach that baseline. And then you need to start maybe thinking about this 10% rule. Similarly, once you've started running, like once you're approaching peak mileage for yourself, to be adding 10% in a week starts to become crazy because you're, you, let's say your peak was 50, then if, if in the next week after running your lifetime maximum mileage of 50, you would have run 55 miles, and then the next week you run 60 and a half miles, you're just you're you're approaching ridiculous very quickly, and and in two months from now you're running 100 miles or something a week. So it's just a weird rule. It's it's something that I think like maybe there's if we can use it the right way and just think about it as a general guideline, then it's useful. But but to be kind of relied on as like the 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 number that you must hit, and and don't go over and don't fall short of it. Uh, to me that is that is faulty thinking. Absolutely, I. I... Completely agree. I think that it it really only applies to this kind of sweet spot as you're building off of your your base or you know your kind of what do you right. call it baseline <laughs> baseline yeah, yeah. Uh, as you're building off of that baseline that that's really the only time that um, it really applies into its truest form of of ten adding ten percent. So if you were if you could comfortably run ten miles and you're training for your first uh, marathon, then you know as you're building up into those longer runs. Um, you know, then the 10 rule might, the 10, 10% rule might apply on those weeks. But, um, the other thing is that you shouldn't always be adding, even, even before you've hit your max, you shouldn't always be adding 10% each week. You know, we, we've talked before about having these kind of off weeks and down weeks where you're, um, right. you're cutting back mileage slightly to recover. Um, uh, and I think that some people think that they're supposed to just add 10% every week, week after week, because that's what the rule says. So. Um, there is, it, it does apply to some, to some degree to people who are building up in, in, uh, in distance, but, um, you know, it's really only the sweet spot where I would rely on it. Right. Good. All right. I've got a couple more, but Doug, why don't you, why don't you take it? All right. I've got, got break one a here. falsehood for us. <laughs> I read an article yesterday or two days ago, maybe that, um, was, titled the gear you need to start running trails okay i clicked it and uh looked through the gear and uh added up all the prices and it was over 700 dollars worth of gear. <laughs> <laughs> and i thought to myself man if i was interested in trail running and i looked at this because it didn't look like that outlandish of stuff i mean it wasn't like crazy gadgets or or anything like that it was just kind of it was like a hydration pack and all this and and trail shoes and uh, shorts that had extra pockets and a headlamp and, you know, all this kind of stuff like that. But it, when you added it all up, it was like $700 worth of stuff. And if I had read that and uh, thought that I really needed all this stuff to start running trails, I would have been so disappointed. And there's no way I would have ever gone out and do that. So the rule I'm busting here um, is that you need trail-specific stuff to to start running trails. You need trail-specific gear to, to run trails. Um, and that is absolutely... A falsehood uh you don't need anything that you that you wouldn't ha- already have for running on the road to run on the trails 
Um, of course, there are gear and there are shoes and there are things that will make it easier if you start taking it more seriously. But I have seen many people run ultramarathons, trail ultramarathons, even some tough ones and muddy ones in road shoes and uh, in whatever kind of gear that they would have had for for running on the road. And so using gear as a uh, as an excuse or <laughs> using gear as a reason to not try trail running um, is, is nothing more than ex- an excuse, in my opinion. Yes, good. Or being a blogger, using that as an excuse to make affiliate sales or uh, or a company <laughs> telling people you have to have this stuff to run that i mean that is crazy you're right that's that's dumb and silly and uh it seems like trail running should be the opposite of that right like mm-hmm. i mean it would be i don't know if this is really true or not but it'd be nice to think of trail running as something where you could get by with less gear than you could in the road right? there's more of a I don't know, like more you're kind of just returning to nature situation and you could you could go a little more minimal with some of your shoes. This might not be true. I mean, it depends what your philosophy is. Some people do. Some people, I know I didn't really start doing my the Vibram five fingers. I didn't start really enjoying those until I started doing some trail running. Mm. And that's when I was able to start having less shoe because uh, you get the softer dirt, although there are some rocks and things. But, uh, you know, they, they you could handle those surprisingly with, with those shoes. Um but yeah, I think of trail running as this more primal thing, and it's kind of nice to think that you wouldn't need seven hundred dollars worth of REI gear. No, not REI. Uh, it was, <laughs> have you done some sort of sponsorship with them, Doug? <laughs> I have. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, right. you can't out me, Matt. I mean, <laughs> or not not out me, but you can't make them mad at me. No. Um, but you. I, did... didn't mean, I didn't mean it. I just meant I just meant gear in general from any trail retailer. Yeah. I mean, you don't. I mean, and of course, I, I would hope that, or I would never, and and uh, I would hope that REI would never encourage a, a blogger to um, to say otherwise. Of course, they would not. Yeah, because um, they're the ones who close their doors on Black Friday, right? That's right. Which is so not not at all a marketing campaign. <laughs> 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 Just for the good. love of the outdoors. All right, good. Um, you need to stop being sponsored by these companies, though, because you're limiting our. Ability to <laughs> cite different company names. Oh man! Uh, speaking right. of sponsorships, I think hey, we should we, we should uh, thank our sponsors who make this podcast possible. This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Thrive Market, an online grocery store offering all your favorite vegan, organic, and non-GMO products. But instead of marking them up to premium prices, Thrive Market sells the same premium products at wholesale prices, delivered straight to your door. And Doug, I heard you just placed your second order at Thrive Market. Uh, well, it's not just my second, second order. Second of this campaign. Of this campaign, it is. <laughs> it, and, you know, I really like Thrive Market because it's just uh, you have all the things, all the staples. They have all your pastas and your sauces and all these kind of staple ingredients, rices that um, that I'm going to buy anyway. And they're cheaper. They're organic. I, it's an easy shopping experience because you can go up and just sort by vegan and just see uh, everything that they have that um, that's vegan and they have available. Um, and it's just a really nice, it's a really good way to, to k- take care of stuff um, that, that so you don't have to go to the grocery store all the time. So I, I placed another order. I even added some things that I hadn't tried before, like some, uh, some vegan macaroni and cheese, boxed macaroni and cheese. I'm gonna okay, that, give that go. a go and see how that goes. I like it. See how that tastes for an easy meal. <laughs> Um, but no, it's uh, it's just a it's just a good pleasant way to to do your grocery shopping, um, your, your, at least a supplement, you know. So then you go to the th- the farmers market, get your vegetables, and you're good to go. 
There you go. And they say they offer things at 25 to 50% off the prices you would normally pay, and then they're shipped straight to your door. I didn't actually go with a calculator and price check, but when I did place my order, I did notice exactly that. The stuff seemed really cheap. Um, I got a bottle of Dr. Bronner's, the tea tree shaving soap, whatever that thing is called, yep. and I uh, have been using that since then. It's a very nice product, which I already knew because I had used their peppermint one before, uh, but it was surprisingly cheap, competitively priced, and uh, the way they do that is because they cut out the middleman, they work directly with the brands, and all that savings get pa- gets passed on to you and me, Doug, and anyone else who is a member of Thrive. <laughs> That's right. And Matt, if you're new to Thrive Market, you can get an additional 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping, plus a 30-day free trial. That is a ton of savings by visiting thrivemarket.com slash no meat. That's thrivemarket.com slash no meat. So nothing holding you back. Now's your chance to go check it out. Thrivemarket.com slash no meat. No hyphen. No hyphen. (laughs) This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. And Matt, you'll be really excited to know that last time, (laughs) the last time we talked about Health IQ, you were giving me a hard time because I have a family now and I don't have life insurance. Yeah, you're being selfish. And, you know, I, th- I think you'll just be, I mean, it'll just help you sleep better at night knowing that uh, I have restarted the process back with Health IQ. Actually, hey, all right. To, uh, to get some life insurance. And yeah. I call them up, we fill out the thing, they give me a call, and um, we talk about uh, everything I do. Talk about running, how much running I'm doing, my diet, all the all the exercises and the health conscious things that um, that that I do, and they'll reward me for it. They tally it all up and submit it. Wonderful. Was that uh, was it after you mowed the lawn and drank your beer and you said, "Hey, I'm being a family man now. I'm moving to a new house. I'm gonna <laughs> get myself some." My no, this is before the mowing the lawn, but maybe it inspired the mowing the maybe lawn. Maybe it did. You know. Good. Well, uh, yes, I, I definitely appreciate that. It, it makes sense to me that if uh, if, if statistics and, and science shows that, that a healthy lifestyle, including a plant-based diet and exercise, uh, is one that makes you less likely to die early, uh, that you would you would pay less for the the benefits that life insurance give you. Absolutely. And uh, and what Health IQ is doing is, is different than most life insurance companies. So pretty excited to uh, to, to be using them as I go on my life insurance journey. And you can do that if you're, if you're interested in, in getting life insurance through Health IQ, go over to healthiq.com slash no meat, one word, to learn more on all the ways you can save money on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash no meat. All right, so I have another one, Doug, that I think you will probably agree with. Um, and this is a rule. I don't know where I heard this rule, but I definitely got it in my head in the first five years of being a runner. And that was the rule that you can't run every day, that you need to have days off in mm. your routine, and that if anyone tries to run every day in the week, they are going to hurt themselves, and they are crazy. And when I put up, I guess it was probably, I've seen a comment on something we've written, I don't know where it was, probably the running streak post on Nomi Athlete, um, and somebody just wrote back and said, like, yeah, this is this is dangerous, though, for runners, because you can't run every day, or you're going to get injured. Um that is that is really not very true at all. I don't think you know. Speaking of sort of the return to nature idea, I just you know like yeah, you can't do a hard workout every single day, or you will certainly get injured. Like eventually, I don't know when, but but within some amount of time, your body will not be able to keep up with that uh, if you don't let it recover. But if you treat running as something that doesn't have to be physically draining, 
Uh, and this is what I mean by kind of a more natural way where maybe like it takes the form of, of something that isn't all that much more strenuous than a, than a hard walk is. And I think anyone who's, who's done, you know, really adequately slow running, um, where it is truly that conversational pace and you're in, in the recovery zone and you're, you know, you're not letting your heart rate get above whatever number you're using, but 65% of max, um, is, is typically what I would use for that. You, you discover that you can run every day because it's, it, it's so little effort on your body. I mean, you're, you're doing something and that, and there's something good about it. You're putting in these miles and you're teaching your body to run just by getting these miles in. Um, and there's, and there's probably a recovery benefit. You probably in some way, maybe stimulate the recovery by doing this. Uh, although I guess you could argue about that point. Um, but you will find it is quite easy to do that every day. I found like, like when, like when I stopped my running streak, it had nothing to do with, with being injured or feeling like I couldn't run anymore. It was just right. that I got tired of doing that. Um, and you ran, I, I did mine. I think I didn't actually, I, I know that it lasted 50 days cause I wrote a blog post then. I know it also went a few weeks past that and I actually didn't keep a careful or don't remember at what day it actually stopped, but it was 74 or 75 in that area. Uh, but you did yours for much, much longer. And, uh, you also ran every day for well over a year, right? 420 something days. There you go. Oh, you know the exact number, Doug. You must. I actually don't. I don't. I, I can find it really quickly, though. Because <laughs> I have a tattooed on my leg. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> then I'd be surprised if you didn't know what it was. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just, yeah, I think again. 442. Oh, man, even more. Wow, you were way off. Yeah. So there you go. 442 days is the limit at which someone can run before they get hurt every day. <laughs> Yeah, but you weren't hurt, right? You just stopped because you got married or something. That's right. right. I, I, the whole point was to do it up until my wedding day, and so that's that's when I stopped. You know, and I think that um, I mean, there's there's people who've been running every day for years and years and years. Uh, I, you know, I think the rest days are important, but I think you can rest while running. I mean, you can have kind of recovery days, uh, active recovery days that that give you many of the same benefits, uh, but, and it depends a lot on what you've done throughout the week other workouts you've done and how you approach those those runs but going out and running every day is not uh, not necessarily something i would recommend for everyone all the time as they're training for a marathon or an ultra marathon or something like that but uh, you can certainly do it uh, and stay and do it in a way that keeps you healthy and keeps you injury free yeah i don't mean at all to imply that it's the optimal or most effective way to train for something or to get faster or to increase your mileage like it's probably none of those things uh for me its use was it it was something different to focus on that was a totally different way of running or way of thinking about running than I'd ever done before. And, uh, and it was fun. And I guess because you think you can't do it every day, that's mm-hmm. what made it so exciting to actually start to rack up the, you know, be in the twenties and thirties and forties of days consecutive run. It was kind of cool to be able to do that and then start to feel like you're doing it and you're not really stressing your body at all. Cause I was running easy almost every single day I was doing it. I wasn't doing any workouts in there. Um, the, obviously the more, you're actually doing workouts, pushing your pushing your mileage or your pace or just intensity for whatever reason. Um, the more valuable an actual rest day will probably start to become. And and I, right. for the record, I think you should take one or two days completely off in a week if you're trying to optimally train for something. Uh, but you totally can run every day uh, safely. It's just you just got to make sure you're running easy enough. Right. Exactly. All, All right. right. So I got a, I got a couple more. I don't know how many you have. Yeah. I've got a couple of vague ones after this, some fluff ones. Okay. <laughs> I, I, got a, I, got a thing, I got a good one here, and that is that um, I think after Born to Run, everyone's 
mine, everyone shifted their perspective of running shoes in that less is better. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's when the vibrant five fingers that we talked about earlier were kind of had their heyday. Um, that is, uh, when the minimalist craze just exploded across all major brands and, uh, and in turn created new brands. I mean, the Luna sandals and all these kind of other people who, uh, weren't around before the whole, uh, barefoot Ted wasn't around before that. Well, no, I mean the companies, <laughs> Is, okay. uh, that you weren't you weren't seeing people racing in in sandals. I don't think before Born to Run, very right. often um, in America. Anyway, right in the Copper Canyon, you were. Yes, you were, of course, in the Copper Canyon. But you weren't you weren't there though. I was not. No, no, no nobody, nobody was. was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> right now, there's not rare than you. But anyway, this this whole idea that less shoe is more is better um, is. Uh, it really exploded, and I think that people are starting to kind of accept or, or understand that that's not always true, and um, and that so that's I want to just go ahead and since we're the definitive definitive voice of and, and running, <laughs> go ahead and, and say that yeah. uh, less is not always better. I think that there are times when less true is good, and that for some people it works really well, and I certainly think that the um, that the reduction in heel to toe drop. Uh, it doesn't have to be zero drop. Doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the same from heel to toe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think that the reduction from that kind of 12, 16 millimeter drop that was was popular before, born to run, uh, you know, closer to six and and eight, something like that, uh, is definitely helpful and healthy for most runners. But um, I think that padding is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, cushioning is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, for certain runners and, and it will help you. It will help certain runners a lot. So I think that w- the moral of the story here and the, <laughs> the rule that I want to break is that less can be more, but more can be more as well. And you have to figure out what shoe is comfortable for you and what shoe works for you uh, in the long haul. Yes. Agreed, Doug. Uh, I have a couple, a couple responses to this. First of all, we are nothing if not the definitive source for all things running, right? We, we that that everyone knows we are that. We are we are the yep. only good source to listen to when it comes to running advice. I'm pretty sure that it <laughs> says that in the in the encyclopedia. I think Runners World <laughs> has a whole section about Numenathi Radio, actually. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So, second of all, um, <laughs> no, I guess I guess to be to be clear, although we're sacrificing some of our edge here, I should acknowledge we are not that. We as a joke, and of course we think we're not that. <laughs> Um, so another thing so this is to do another corporate tie-in here uh, I think Ultra A-L-T-R-A this is speaking as a non-sponsor thing I know Doug you've had some sort of sponsorship arrangement with them in the past or maybe now I don't even know but for me I have not had that and uh, I think they've gotten it right they they have kept the zero drop thing they have allowed the foot to be spread out more Um, but Golden Harper who is our friend who's been on our podcast at least once maybe even twice now um, you know, he said, like he he's pointed out, like that the minimalist thing or or the zero drop, sorry, the minimalist doesn't necessarily mean no cushioning. That we started to, um, th- maybe I'm mix- missing up the terms here. That he what was it? That, that minimalist. He said it was wrong to assume that minimalist and zero drop were synonyms, right? right? That you yes. that you shouldn't ha- can't have zero drop in a shoe that isn't minimalist. That's that's what I meant to say or should have said. Um. So what they've done is they've maintained that they've kept the zero drop philosophy and the bigger toe box so your foot can spread out more. Uh, but 
said, what happens if we do that but still have some cushioning? And I think that's why they make shoes that, that both of us like a lot. Um, so anyway, I think that's a really good point. It, uh, it's The zero drop thing seems like it just fundamentally sound. So does the letting your foot have some room. So these things that like basically avoiding removing restrictions on where your foot can move. And, and that's kind of what the, the, the non-zero drop things did. They sort of put your foot in a certain position and said it has to be in this position when it lands. So I think removing those things is good. But uh, but you're right that there there certainly are some some applications where having more shoe and I use that means cushioning but but who knows maybe there's some other feature of a shoe that you might want more of it sometimes um, you know that's not a it's not a universally bad thing to have more um, and I think this is another one of those kind of purest things right like someone just thinks that you're not running correct like it just you start to feel guilty for having a a big shoe of whatever whatever that means. Um, in the same way that you might feel guilty about wearing your headphones, and I think that's I think that's bad. I think we should not have these things where we where we feel like now we're not we're not properly running or running to its full extent if we're not doing it in bare feet. You know, I think uh, I think it's nice to just let people run how they how they want. Yeah, and and I would encourage people. Um, speaking of letting people run how they want, I would encourage you to <laughs> to have multiple shoes, at least two pairs of shoes that um, maybe have different amounts of cushioning. And maybe even different amounts of drop, uh, or they're all the same. That that's fine too. Um, but uh, you know, like maybe you have a, a shoe that has a larger stack height um, and has more cushioning, or and you have a more minimalist shoe, and you kind of mix them up and do different runs and and have that variety because I think that is only going to be good for your foot strength and your legs and keeping you injury free um, to have that variety within your running. Right. Speaking of not needing a lot of equipment to do something as simple as running. <laughs> we think you should have four different types of shoes to rotate through. <laughs> you know, so we, we conmarried, uh, what, a year and a half ago or whatever. We cleaned out our, mm-hmm. cleaned out our, um, our house and gave away a bunch of stuff. And then when we moved, we did another round of it, uh, which I think you and I have talked about and how good it yep. feels to kind of redo that after you've already done it. And even the second round, so giving away uh, giving away stuff before this move last week, I gave away 13 pairs of running shoes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's a lot, Doug. And I'd already given away, like, I don't know, over 10 the first time. Wow. Are you, are these going to some worthy cause, or are they going to Doug's eBay account to give away? <laughs> no. No, they're going to the local running store here in Black Mountain. Shout out to the Vertical Runner Black Mountain. Um, uh, does uh, They give them to one of the people who collect running shoes and uh, – helps people you know i don't know i don't know if it's homeless or low income or some some something provide shoes for for people who are looking to run who can't afford them nice very nice good okay um on to the next here's one that is that i i think is probably a good rule that I, but I, I really wanted to question this one <laughs> the, uh Matt, that's not how this one works this episode <laughs> works. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm being transparent. I'm saying I'm just. This is pointing out we're not just out to bust rules and 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 not uh, you know we're not here just to be contrarian and say that all this stuff is false. There's some actual good rules. So I was thinking though, every time you read a, a book about marathon training or want to dive into marathon training or even half marathon training, probably ultra training too, you read this. And by the way, this is kind of headed towards where my next actual one is. Uh, my next rule to ignore is, but there's always this warning at the beginning that says before doing this program, you should be running 20 to 25 miles per week for eight or 12 weeks 
long. Some some always too long amount of time in my estimation when I'm eager to start training. In the this in the past when I was really gung ho about getting into marathon training programs right away and qualifying for Boston, I just did not have any patience at all. And uh, you know, would pick a race that was 16 weeks away that I could shave two of the weeks off the official training program and get done with zero base. Um, and so I was going to try to say that we should ignore these, but I, I don't think you should ignore those. I think those are pretty good things. Like, yeah, you, like you don't have to have that to start training for something. Um, but I don't know it like, yes, you could do it, but the risk is you'll get eight weeks in or four weeks in and then you'll get hurt. And at, I don't know, you'll spin your wheels for a long time and waste a lot of time, which is what I did. I took all this time to qualify for Boston when I think if I just kind of had some more wisdom around the topic of running, uh, which would, would have been hard, a lot to ask of someone who was kind of new at it like I was. But if I had if I had understood a little bit more about this and had more experience, then I could have done it faster, I think. Um, and it was because I didn't have the patience to listen to stuff like this where it would say, spend some time building a strong base before you dive into a program. So I, I wanted to pause here, Doug, and see what you thought about that. Do you think those things are, are a good thing? Those those thing, And are they typically accurate or are they overly cautious? Um, well... I think I think that there's kind of an asterisk behind any answer um, along this. Or nice, Doug. With, take a stand there. <laughs> um, all right, I'll take a stand. Edgy. We're all about edginess. Here. Yeah, all right. Uh, asterisk. <laughs> I trained for my – so here's the truth. I trained for my very first marathon running about after running about nine miles a week, running three mm-hmm. miles on the treadmill three times a week at the gym. And then I started – I jumped into a beginner training pro- program – uh, like a 16 week training or 18 week training program and, um, and ran my, and finished my first marathon. Was mm-hmm. it, uh, really incredibly painful? Was it really hard? And did I not come anywhere close to my goal time? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I made it through and I made it through injury free. Um, so no, I don't think that you have to have these, like this massive base. I think it really depends on what your goals are. And if, if you haven't, you know, if you're, and what your experience was in the past. So if you had a big, base at one point and you took a year and a half off and you want to try to get back into it i think it's going to come back a lot more naturally and your body is going to uh, remember what it's like to run that long and what it's like to run that much um and and it'll be an easier transition for someone who maybe is not a runner now or like me was running only nine miles a week um and wants to jump into something that is going to almost immediately take them up to 20 or more miles per week right um so, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that it's good if you, if you have real goals, if you have, uh, if you want, if you have the time, the luxury to, to do it right, then I th- absolutely think that you should take advantage of that eight week, eight to 12 weeks to build your base up. But, um, I don't think it's necessary. I think you can do it. I know you can do it because I'm living proof. <laughs> right. Well, that, that was my experience too. And I, I probably had even less base than that when I just jumped into marathon training and like I, I was doing a tiny bit of running for a fitness program but i wasn't i didn't start actually running you know the three or four three mile runs per week until i had a marathon training program that got me to do that mm. and i got through mine i did get hurt along the way uh but did, did get a finish and it was very painful and it wasn't anywhere near my goal time it had the positive outcome of that it got me started running and it had you know i got a marathon finish as a result and that made me really excited to keep doing more right so I guess that that's maybe the the hesitation I have about saying that you do need this this space because is that someone in my shoes or maybe your shoes, Doug, would 
always think they need that base, never actually have the patience to create that base because they want to get to the marathon training. And if they believe that you need that base, then they, they will therefore never get anywhere. They'll never start training for marathon because they can never get through the eight boring weeks of not increasing your mileage and just building this slow, steady base. Mm-hmm. So that actually segues into my, my next one, um, which I guess, and here's where my, like I said, my last few kind of get fluffy here, but like, I, there's no rule that says you have to run a 5k, then you have to run a 10k, then you have to run a half marathon, then you have to run a marathon, then you can run an ultra or whatever, whatever your real goal is. Um, and not, not to, your no, real goal should be an ultra marathon right. <laughs> and you should go to rockercreator.com for more information on how to do that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mean to uh, to belittle those other goals either. Like I certainly don't. It really, I mean, I we say that all the time. I wonder if people think it is genuine or not. But I, I honestly do. Like, if 5K is your Everest, then awesome. That is that is wonderful. And make that 5K your your ultimate goal and do whatever it takes to make it happen. I don't mean at all ever to say that as small. But I just know when I jumped in, my eye was on marathon. That was what I was excited about. Um, and I had this kind of strange guilt the whole time that I never had run a 5K and never had run a 10K, and never had run a half marathon. It would have been better if I did. Like, if I had that experience, I would have avoided a lot of the race day stuff that didn't go very well. Um, but, so anyway, my point, this is not a rule. No one ever says you have to do this. For some reason, I got the sense that I should. I got the sense that it was this sort of maybe, not not an unspoken rule, but an unspoken best practice is you should do the next shortest race distance before you do anything beyond that. So, I, I think that rule's not a good one. I think, yes, you need to train properly for the distance you're running. Uh, but if it if it's a half marathon that totally inspires you, then I don't think you need to spend the time training for a 5K or a 10K. I think you can skip right to that half marathon so long as you adequately train for it, which just means put in the miles. You're going to do the 5K and the 10K distances in the course of your training, even if they're not as races. Um, but I think this is perhaps clearest in, in ultra marathons. Cause you mentioned born to run and I've met a lot of people since then who are not interested in running at all for whatever reason, pick up born to run. Someone recommends it. They actually read born to run and then they want to do ultra marathon running and they want to get right to that. Um, I think for most people they never do because they think they have to become runners. And I would argue that you probably don't. I think you can do a 50 K. I think you can do a 50 K as your first race, uh, if that's, you know, if, if you've set it as your goal and, and you are smart about it, like, you, yes, you still need to do all the training. You still need to find a proper plan. I'm I'm not encouraging you to just get into something without knowing anything about it. But to think I have this long road ahead of me that requires me doing 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, and it's this four-year plan before I can do my 50K, that to me kills a lot of dreams, that that kind of thinking. it just It just seems like too much work and waiting before you get to do the thing you want to do. I would agree with that 100%. All right, good. I was worried that you wouldn't, that you would say, that's irresponsible of you, Matt. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, I, the caveat, of course, is just that you have to build up, so you got to learn how to run three miles before you can run six miles, right? Right, um, of course. But, uh, but I don't think you need to go through the 5K plan and then the 10K plan and train for a half marathon and then train for a marathon. Like, you can do all that at the same time. Right. I, I, I mean... Certainly you learn stuff along the way. And that's like, I do have hesitation in saying this, like, you know, without any exceptions, you should just do it. Cause like, what if someone just is going to do a hundred miler as their first race? <laughs> I mean, like I learned so much in a 
in the process of running all these other races, like you learn how bad it feels to go too fast in in a in a marathon. Right? And right. it's just it's just the worst feeling in the world when you're when you're at mile fifteen and you realize you you can run for about three more miles and then you have nothing left. Um so for that to happen in a hundred because you'd never learned that lesson, that would not be a good thing. Uh and you would you'd fail. You'd quit your hundred. And I guess one could argue that this is potentially dangerous, right? If you didn't have the experience of knowing how hard it is or like knowing how your body well, see, because the person has done the training runs. So that that's the thing. I'm no we're no one's saying you should do this without doing the proper training runs for them. Right. So you would know about hydration needs, you would know about electrolytes, you'd know about what kind of fueling needs you have because you would have practiced all this on long runs. Because right. uh, that that is unquestionably part of any race. You you got to do that stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what the limit is. I wouldn't tell someone you should run a hundred without first running another race. No, uh, I, I wouldn't do that. Either. But I don't know. But where does that stop? Fifty k marathon? I don't know. Some somewhere in that distance to me is I wouldn't do much more than that without having done that. But who knows? Maybe I'm just being limited in my own beliefs here. Well, I th- I think that the what it comes down to is is the amount of time that it would take. So, you know, I would never I would never encourage someone who is running nine miles a week and has never run more than nine miles a week to jump into a 100 mile training plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a 20 week, a 20 week or 24 right. week, 100 mile training plan. Right. Like that would be way too much too soon. But right. if you took if you took uh, a year or I mean, even that's too soon, probably. But if you took two years to slowly build up and be smart about your training runs and go on some really big training runs over the course of a year and a half, two years, then you could probably do it. Um, but you would, and and you would learn a lot of those lessons through those training runs and through that process, you'd learn your, to, uh, you know, how your body reacts to certain workouts and certain long runs and hills and, and whatever. Right. Um, and, but it would take a long time, you know, if you, and if you were training for only a or not only a half marathon, maybe you're training for a half marathon instead of a hundred miler than that, that window would be a lot smaller, um, that would, right. be, right. would be required. So yeah. I think that you don't necessarily have to run races, shorter races, even up to a hundred miles, but it would just, you have to give yourself a lot more time to do that, to train for it. Right. And I think for most people, if you going to be taking a lot of time to do something, then it typically makes you more excited to put an intermediate race in there. Right, rather than sure. rather than delaying your whole journey to do this intermediate race, if you're going to be doing this long journey anyway, and it's going to be taking you a long time, then you might as well put something shorter in there because it, you know it just makes it more fun and it gives you something to look forward to that is only six months down the road instead of two or three years down the road. So that's probably the way to do it, right? Like you don't have to do these things, but if you're going to take the time it takes to train for this big thing, whatever the big thing is, then it doesn't hurt to put the shorter race in there, uh, both for your excitement and and sense of enjoyment as you're doing this uh and for the experience that you'll get in doing it yes i would agree and and i you know i mean i would even take that one step further to say it's better to do it so you don't have to do yeah. it but yeah, it's yeah. better to do it right better but, to. So, but there's no but you don't have to follow whatever <laughs> rule there might be in your head that says you have to do every single distance 5k 10k half marathon marathon 50k 50 mile 100k and then 100 but you can skip some of those if yes. you want yes I know a guy who went from 50K to 100 mile, and I thought that was amazing. This is when I was just getting into 50Ks. Mm. And I thought, that guy's crazy if he didn't do 50 mile or or 100K. Um, But, you know, now I I get how he did it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. 
All right, I got. One, I got. I actually have a. I'm going back and forth of what to do, but I'm just going to do this one last one because I think it, we should wrap it up after this. Yeah. Um, and I think it's. I think it's a good one for us to end on. And that is that. Uh, that runners should only run. Hmm. Good. Have you heard that rule? Have you ever? Yes, I definitely rule? have. Yeah. Uh, people say, well, you don't. You don't see the the Kenyans or the Ethiopians. You don't see them doing swimming or crossfit right you just see them running because that's that's what they're good at and let's look at what the best people do and we'll do that right and all they do is run so i think that that's that's a common one that gets especially like you were talking about earlier the advanced runners kind of pass that along to their beginner brethren brethren mm-hmm. and uh and and people can have this idea that if, you, if i want to be a runner i should only be running and i will say that uh you know, for most people, until they have hit their limit, if you want to get better at running, then you should run more, right? But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you should only run. And I think that there is major value in cross-training. I think that there is a good mental and physical value in, in mixing up what you do and, and how often you do it, um, whether that's swimming or cycling or uh, strength training or, or anything uh, along those lines, playing soccer or or something like that um i think that 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 will benefit you as a runner uh, in a lot of ways um and as you get more serious within a training plan as you are you know deep into a training plan then you probably want to cut back on that stuff and focus on the running instead but when you're not in a specific training plan or when you're just in the base building phase or in the first few weeks um i think that there is a lot of value in in doing things other than running uh, that are still going to get the heart rate up, that are still going to get your legs moving, get, they're still going to build strength, um, but aren't going to give you the same pounding or or work your body in the exact same way as running does. Yes, I would agree with you there, Doug. Um, I think the I think the the advice to only run or run as much as you possibly can until you will get hurt if you run more and that's when you should instead that's when you switch to cross training once your mileage is at the point where you can't handle any more mileage then you might as well get an aerobic workout in but just do it on a bike or something else mm-hmm. um i think that's kind of short-sighted advice and i don't mean that it's bad advice i just mean like like if you have a race goal whether it's a n- new distance or a time like that is the short-term thing to do is that you probably should run as much as you can I don't mean as much as you can, but you know, whatever time and ability your body has to work out, you should do it as do in the form of running because it's going to help you the most with whatever your short term goal is. And short term might mean a year or two years. I don't mean really short. Um, but now, like having a little distance from running myself, um, just having not done that much of it in the past couple of years, I I kind of wish that during all those years when I was exclusively a runner, it like it would have been really nice. It would be really nice now if I had kind of built some other fitness habits that weren't running and just had done some other races and had the other base of fitness experience, um, kind of, kind of just to draw on in terms of like being inspired about something else now, or also I'm thinking for long-term health, like if someone's going to do something for 50 years of their life and that's going to be their, their way of keeping themselves in shape and, and mobile and all that stuff, then it might be a good thing to, or it would be a good thing to kind of diversify that and, and don't just run, do some things that develop strength in other areas of your body and in different ways. Uh, so I think, I think that's a really good point. I think, I think 
like the people who are really into running and and maybe are short-sighted because of it and like that's all they see is running are kind of correct you should just run if you want to get better at running but i think if you can kind of step back from that and not be someone who's so immersed in running the running community and culture and running is your whole life then i think you i, I can appreciate the the advice that we should do other things as well when when possible yeah absolutely and and i meant to mention this earlier but in certain certain situations for certain people um it's it'd be better in general if they did other things and and cut back on the amount of running if you're injury prone if you're coming back from an injury if you're older and maybe the mileage just becomes too much you know it, it has you it takes too long for you to recover from stuff um then only running a couple times a week and doing other activities instead is is going to be better for you so um not only do i think that it's good for mental health and longevity within the sport um, I, I think that for certain people, it's, it's, it's a necessity, uh, for their training all the time. There we go. No need for an asterisk on that one. No need for an asterisk. Straight up advice. Boom. We busted it. <laughs> let's, let's put an asterisk in the title of this episode on iTunes. <laughs> say running rules you can safely asterisk ignore. <laughs> and then the description will say not always safely subject to your discretion. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> All right. So what else, Doug? I think uh, a little birdie told me that there's a downward facing oh, Doug. There is a downward facing Doug. Doug is looking Uh-oh. so down on oh, no. on certain things right now. Um, okay. We moved. Is it, sorry to interrupt. It's not on Jeff Bezos becoming the world's richest man, is it? After. Yeah. Did you see he's no longer the world? He, that was oh, a, he's not? He was yesterday. I know. And then the stocks went down. He lost and, it. And he, <laughs> Not, I mean, he's still incredibly rich, but <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought that was, that, I read that yesterday or whatever, and then I reread it, another article today that said that they, no the stock's closed too low. <laughs> he went down. Oh, poor guy. I know. Riding high up for that 12 hours. <laughs> All right. What's it really though? Um, it is, so, you know, I moved and uh, moving is hard, right? It, disrupts your yeah. whole life you got to pack everything up you got to yeah there's just a lot of a lot of things you have to addresses you got to change especially with a baby baby or child adds to the difficulty of moving by times five i would estimate i i would agree with that mm-hmm. i definitely would agree with that um and i have been so frustrated with big company customer service and i'm gonna call two brands out two Uh-oh. companies out this is unrelated to your tweet that one day to charter right uh well it's it's uh back at charter same brand oh my gosh all right they let's hear it they screwed up uh my internet in so many different ways i had planned that out perfectly because i obviously need internet to function uh with the business and um so and we had the uh, our old apartment and and our new house kind of overlapped and i wanted to make sure that they were both on so that i didn't have to worry about it at all and of course, when they turn on the new house before we'd moved, they turn off the old one, even though I had been very specific about it. And then anyway, the whole thing turned into this huge thing that spent hours on the phone and they actually charged us extra to have to come back out and turn it back on. And um, all this kind of stuff was just, they just were not good about it at all, even though I'd explained it. And another one, Home Depot, throwing this <laughs> one. <laughs> we order a washer and dryer and... Uh, Set up at a delivery time, delivery window. They show up 
outside the delivery window with just the washer and no one told us that the dryer had been damaged in transport and it would be two weeks before we get a dryer um and they didn't call us to tell us that apparently they had known that for like a week and a half anyway Mm. just frustrated that the the lack of uh of customer service from big companies because they know that you don't have any other options and that's just kind of the way the way it is yep i agree i agree with you on that that customer service is often very frustrating. There seems to be a trend among some forward-thinking companies to be the opposite of that, and that's probably a good thing, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, so here's to call, to speak highly of a company. I went into Ace Hardware the other day to pick up pick out a few things, and I was carrying Eliza, our baby. Um, and while I was in the store, it all the heavens opened up and it was pouring down rain. And the manager saw me checking out uh, and had my hands full in the big parking lot. And he went and got uh, an umbrella and walked me to my car. And I thought that was like, I thought that was wonderful. I, did, I, I will go back to that Ace Hardware anytime. Um, there you go. But, but is it scalable is the question. I don't, I don't know if every store manager can be doing that. You know? That's true. That's you got to make it. It's a, customer service is a hard thing. I mean, it's like, you probably know it with Rock Creek Runner, right? Like so you, you, it, you, you can't possibly have the person, the one person behind the site or the owner of Home Depot. And not that there's a single owner, but they can't possibly do service for everybody, right? So you have to have someone else do it, and then that means there's rules that need to be followed, and there's got to be policies, and then it, it it's just a hard thing to do right. There are some companies that get it right, and we're we're trying to do that, but it's it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. But you know, I think that that uh, I think that nowadays with online sales, sales of things online, and uh, companies that are just getting bigger and bigger, and especially in communities like like ours where we do have access to most things, you know, but we don't have everything around here, right? I mean, there's, we do have a Lowe's and a Home Depot, but that's about it if, when you want to get, like, big appliances and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they know that, that you're going to have to buy their stuff anyway. Like, if we canceled our order, right. we don't, it's not like we could go that many other places to get it. It's a monopoly. Actually. I know. And I think that they take advantage of that, and I don't like that. So There you go. All right, Doug, I got to, just because I know some people might be thinking it, I, I must point out this week's Downward Facing Doug sounds a little bit like whining about first world problems <laughs> with with your electric dryer not showing up on time. When some people listening to this podcast probably wash their clothes in the river and dry them on a, a line. You're right. It is. You know? It is. You're right. No, but you're that's right. why Downward Facing Doug's kind of funny. I was hoping that we would have something <laughs> like this. So. So I'm okay with that, but I did want to point it out. It's just an opportunity for me to rant. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to just, it's going to be, you're just complaining about your experiences with companies. There's did, a, did, were there any angry tweets generated for this one? There were not, no. Oh, were not. Doug throwing his social media weight around? Did not throw the social media weight around this time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I did, I did... I, you know, and and here's the thing with, with customer service: it's, it's never the person, it's never the person's fault that you're actually talking to, right? Some sort right. of systematic thing, and you get so frustrated, but you can't really take it out on the person who's on the other side of the phone. No, you shouldn't do that. You should never do that. Okay, all right, all right. I'm all right. complaining. Thanks for listening, everybody. It felt good to get that off my chest. I, I, <laughs> I really appreciate right. it. Good. Well, I think that was a good use of everyone's time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Um, anything else, Doug, before we wrap up? No, that's it. Okay, we will be back uh, next week with with something else. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Take care. All right.